Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. We are live, if you can tell, at the GOAT. Uh, Robbie, how you feeling? Great. We're, we're back. We're, uh, well, I'll save that. So we're, we're at the GOAT, greatest of all time, and it's fantastic. Uh, we're adding a little bit of uh, background beats to, uh, to this episode, so I hope everybody enjoys it. Yeah, man. Uh, I always say live, but it's really just on location because this isn't going to be posted till Monday. This is Saturday, August 18th. We've got um, a good show for you today. We're going to do our season preview today, all the positions we're going to go over. And before we get kicked off, as always, Robbie, give us a cheers. All right. Well, on 8-18-2018, so uh, I just noticed that. It's a good day to be recording. Uh, cheers to being back where it all uh, was formed. Uh, I sent out a tweet this morning about the fact that uh, 2015, August 26th, we got together and we figured out we were going to put the podcast together. Back then, it was Hard Times Cafe. We are now at the GOAT. I like it. They uh, <laughs> Hard Times uh, was nice yeah. uh, in its own this way. This is a bit of an upgrade. Yeah, they upgraded it a lot. So uh, I, how about a cheers to being back where it all started for the 2018 season, which is coming up here shortly. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. A couple quick news and notes before we dive in. We've got two new commits. Uh, just yesterday, I guess, we got a safety slash rover named uh, Dean Ferguson, and then we got a quarterback in the 2020 class named Tyler Warren. Was that our first? Yeah, that was the first one. First recruit in uh, the 2020 class. So uh, we'll see how that all pans out. But, um, you know, a couple, uh, two recruits on a, on a Friday committing. I can't beat that. Yeah, right. Good kickoff to the weekend. There was a few items from the news conference the other day. Uh, Josh Jackson was named the starter. That's kind of a, yeah, of course, kind of news. But nevertheless, earlier than last year, I think if that wasn't the case, we'd be very concerned. So good to hear that. He's on the Manning watch list as well. Uh, Dax is going to play as a true freshman. Another kind of we knew that already announcement, but the fact that it's already verified, I think, is a testament to how good he's going to be. Yeah, and we'll get into the position groups here uh, shortly, but I'm really excited. I think we all have been uh, about his potential, but hearing that this early uh, is is very exciting. Robert Porcher was moved to defensive tackle from defensive end. He was a pretty good recruit a couple years ago, and we just talked about the lack of depth at defensive tackle, so that move is some very welcome news. I think he's already at 280, so he's not, he's not far off from where he needs to be. And the last small note I had was Holston. Jalen Holston, our running back, has slimmed down a bit. He trimmed the fat and uh, looks like he could be a quicker running back this year. And, and when we talk about our running backs, we'll get into how valuable that could be. Robbie, let's just jump right into this preview. Let's do it. I'm ready. I'm actually really excited and the order that you laid it out in is exactly how i'd want to talk about it because we get to hit the the best for last for sure for sure so let me do the lay of the land real quick last year virginia tech finished 24th in the ap poll and 30th in the s p plus rankings for 2018 athlon has a 16th coming into the year and picks second in the coastal one of the higher ratings of of anyone out there phil Steele put us at 40 in his preseason poll meaning he thinks we'll finish the year as the 40th best team 
The AP poll is not out yet, but in the coaches poll, we are 17th. So, again, the coaches have us a little bit higher than I think most of the smarter pundits might. Like Bill Connolly, for example, thinks we're going to be somewhere in the 30s. He hasn't really adjusted his S&P Plus rankings yet. He had us at 21, but he said that's going to drop based on the Adonis news, based on the MOOC news, and so on and so forth. So 88th in experience rank, according to Phil Steele, so in the lower half of FBS in terms of what we're bringing back. And we all know how much we've lost. Again, that doesn't even account for how many guys we've lost on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, so those a lot of the announcements came out after those stats went out. So uh, that we probably dropped... I don't know, to the 100th probably after losing Adonis and Mook. Uh, yeah, I did, uh, Bill Connolly, I think he put us at second to last in FBS in terms of returning production on that side of the ball. So right. we'll talk about the defense in a minute, but uh, did you have any thoughts on the schedule? Like, it's not, a, people have talked about our schedule not being very difficult. I, I honestly think it's, it's tougher than last year. And you've got Notre Dame, you've got Miami. Phil Steele has it as the 56th toughest in FBS. And I get that. I guess the coastal is, is dragging it down. I think for the for the schedule overall, when I first saw it, when it came out, before we knew about Adonis, before Mook, you know what we were losing on the defensive side of the ball, knowing that we were getting Josh Jackson back, I thought that this could have been a really really special year. Quite yeah. frankly, the way that it was set up, I like the bye week getting it in the middle of the season. Yeah. I've always liked that. Six it would be six. nice if it was one week earlier, I think, right after Notre Dame. But it, it's still, after UNC, after the seventh game, a nice break right in the middle of the year is good. Yeah, I liked that we were getting, and this th- these were my initial thoughts, and that's where I'm going with this, is I liked that we were getting Miami at home and late in the season to give us time to develop and get ready for that game. I liked that we were having Notre Dame, but we got Notre Dame at home, which would have built the strength of schedule. When I first saw it and before we lost some people, which we'll get into who we lost and who we think is going to make up for some of those gaps, I thought it could have been a pretty special season. I'm not saying that we would have gone 12-0, and but yeah. I thought it could have been you know, a 10-win season just the way that the schedule laid out. Now looking at it uh, through not so uh, rose-colored glasses uh, at the time and with what we've lost, it's it's kind of dangerous. I yeah. think in some respects, at the time that we get, you got body blow with GT backing up against BC, Notre Dame. I, I, I mean, we have a lot of tough opponents that are really packed in. Now that you look at it from a different light, the one thing I did notice about the schedule that bodes well for us is that there's not really good passing quarterbacks on our schedule and when you look at the defense and look what we lost in the secondary we do get two pretty good safeties back but the fact that we won't have a killer passer out there on any given game like that that really is going to be good for us I think we're going to be better against the run hopefully that schedule plays to our strengths a bit we 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 did say that maybe Daniel Jones is the best QB on our schedule or at least I said that last time and he, his numbers aren't even that good, and that's that's this crazy thing. It's not because he's really that good. It's that if you look at the other passers on the schedule, like who's better than him? No, nobody, nobody is. And um, I know you caught a little bit of flack uh, uh, for that comment. I, I tend to agree with it, and not so much from a passing quarterback, but I think he has some athleticism that makes him that makes him dangerous for us. And um, Anybody that has any amount of uh, ability to use their legs is always been a detriment to, <laughs> to the Virginia Tech defense. For sure, for sure. And he, he does do those inverted veers and whatnot. Uh, all right, let's 
enough about the schedule. Let's get into position groups because we got to fire through these things. And the way we set it up is we're going to go from one side of the ball to the other. And we're going to start with that position that has the most mystery around it in the defensive backs. It's going to take a little bit of a step back this year. We lo- when you we consider who we lost, Stroman, Faison, and Terrell in the back of the DBs, it's, it's, it's brutal. You know, those are massive losses. Stroman in particular, he was so much better than when he got to Tech, and he got better and better every year. Losing the way he can defend the football is going to be brutal. I do feel a little bit better about those DBs after the comments last week, but there's just no experience. Yeah, and I think that's where it's really going to shine through. I, it's it's not so much the talent, the athleticism, the coaching, and the ability to get those guys up to speed. It's going to be the uh, times that they stub their toes really, really bad. Uh, you know, the 60-yard you know George Tech touchdown that we're going to have to deal with uh, this year, which uh, and they had two of them. I think one was 40 yards and one was 60. Uh, that those types of incidents where the fan base lost their mind, I did against a team like Georgia Tech is going to be more prevalent moving forward. So uh, in this season, I mean, yeah. and that's that never makes for a great season well, in terms of what we expect. The, the Georgia Tech game fits in perfectly with what we were talking about. We were 124th in yards per completion last year, so sixth to last in. Every time they completed the ball, the other team got 15 yards on us. It, it's incredibly bad, but that's kind of the beauty of it. Like, could that actually get worse? I don't think that it can. Even with these younger guys, that stat isn't going to get worse. The defense might be worse, uh, like in the more advanced stats, S&P Plus against the pass. But that particular stat, I don't think it can get worse than 15 yards per completion by the opposing quarterbacks. That was incredibly bad. Reggie Floyd at, at safety, I feel really good about. That's our rover. Diablo had a really good start to last year before he got hurt at free safety. And I think that he can fill in for Terrell, and there will be virtually no drop-off. That's just my personal opinion. I thought Terrell got burned quite a few times last year. He did make some amazing plays and was a leader for our defense, so it's a loss. But Diablo's a very good player. The coaches have felt positive about him ever since he moved over from wide receiver. So I'm, I feel very, very good about the safeties. It's Watts and Quillen and Farley at corner that have no experience, and we just don't know what we're going to get. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The 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 one thing that Terrell, I think, brought to the table was he was very much a Bud Foster-type defense player in that he's going to do 98% of it right, and then the 2% is going to be a disaster. Yeah. And that, that is uh, – that that's always been – but that also leads to elite defenses. And there's been actually a lot of commentary uh, amongst the media in the offseason that I've been listening to that a lot of really good defenses do that. Like, they, they're good 99% of the time. The 1% actually is uh, is where the nightmare happens. But it's not it's not going to crush you. So I think, I think Diablo and Floyd I'm good with. Um, and to your point, the, the nice part is is that there had to be a ton of confidence with Farley to move him over onto that side yeah. uh, and to switch him, uh, given how much excitement there was about him. So I, I feel about – I don't feel good. I feel okay about that. Outside of that, I don't know. Uh, that's that's kind of where my yeah, confidence The backups ends. are all extremely young. I mean, the, the starters are young, but the backups are younger. That Waller and Thompson and Chapman are all – what, true freshman? Yeah. There's one retro sophomore, Tyree Rogers, who initially showed some promise, but we haven't heard much about it all recently. So 
it's Watts, Quillen, and Far- Farley as the three starters. I don't know who's going to be the nickel guy when it when it comes down to it. And then you got Waller, who they feel really good about as like the fourth corner. I think there's a little bit of a drop off, but they love Thompson's speed, so we have to mention him as well. I just wonder with Bud and the risks he likes to take if we might be better because he won't put these young guys on islands as much as he normally would. Not this year. I, they, he can't. He loves to do that, but he just I don't think he's going to be yeah. confident enough to do it. He's probably going to play uh, a lot more zone uh, you know, than he would. In any, I, don't, I don't know how much man-to-man that we're going to see unless they, they know something that we don't. And it's yeah. closed practice, so it's hard to tell. Yeah. But and yeah, I know they feel good about the guys they have, the starters at least on the, on the outside, but we'll see. Let's move on to linebacker. This is zero experience. There was a little bit of experience in defensive backs, but like virtually none. We lost Tremaine, we lost Motua Puaka, and we lost Mook. Um, whether you want to call Mook a DB or you know, a linebacker, but he was our whip, so we're going to group him with the linebackers. I feel so positive about this linebacking core going forward. I don't know immediately how good it's going to be but Ashby has gotten absolutely rave reviews they talk about his football IQ he's a, like a thumper for only being 5'11 apparently he just really packs a punch and Motuapuaka that was always a thing like he would get knocked back in the hole he, he was a de- decent coverage linebacker but he wasn't a hard hitter by any means so Ashby high on him Dylan Rivers the four-star flip that we got from Penn State two years ago he looks to be the starting backer but Dax is really really pushing him I think Dax is going to see the field. Uh, my question is whether they keep him in their in in kind of the four game role. Um, but I, I, I think I think he's just going to play the entire season. I don't think, think so. That, yeah, I don't think there's going to be any like oh this Dax's fourth game now. Like they the way that it was announced, it's like he's just going to play. Okay. And he I think he could even be the starter. I, wow. I I know that Rivers has a, a year on him, and and I Rivers I'm not sure if he was an early enrollee, so he might have a year and a half. But whatever. It's probably going to be Rivers to begin the season, but I think Dax is going to play a lot of snaps. Wow. Devin Hunter at Whip is extremely exciting. Another highly ranked guy, probably what, our highest recruit we've gotten in years, really. So his move from Rover due to Reggie Floyd's emergence is great because without Mook, you know, it could have been a huge problem. I, I feel okay just because we're basically putting a five-star athlete in that Whip linebacker spot. And that's a, that's a position where you need an athlete and you need a guy who can cover. So who better than a DB to move into that spot? So this group could be so, so good. Oh, this is going to be, assuming that everybody, uh, listen, everything's a caveat with injury and performance and development and stuff like that. This could be one of the most talented linebacking cores that we have had in a long time if they all develop it the way, the way they should over the next few years. So the athleticism is there. The talent is absolutely there, and now it's just it's more scheme and kind of understanding football in college football. As at this Bud point. would say, don't let your head tie up your feet. Right. They, they've got to grip it and rip it out there. And if they do, I, I really think it'll be a better tackling. I mean, I know Tremaine was a tremendous tackler, but the combination of these three guys could really be strong against the run immediately, and the, against the pass will come with time. Let's move to the defensive line. This is the best and most experienced group on the D. There's no question about it. Everyone is back except for Big Tim Settle, which is a sizable loss, both literally and uh, metaphorically, for this defense. At defensive tackle, we've got Ricky Walker. He's our all-ACC hope. going to be hard to beat out anyone in Clemson to get ACC nods, or at least for the first team. But Ricky is 
he's as good as they come. And he's one of, one of the best ones we've had at Tech in a long time. And pairing him now with Mahoto moving over from defensive end, that's going to be a formidable duo, especially against the run. Almost 30 tackles for loss combined for those two guys in their career, just last two seasons. Very strong players on the inside, at least as starters. I think Mahota's health is still coming along a little bit. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried. Um, I, 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 I think the world of Ricky Walker, I think he's going to be fantastic. I'm a little worried about the change in dynamic between what he had with Big Tim Settle, who was 300 and what, 30 pounds? 300 and <laughs> I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, His playing I think he might hit, might have been three twenty. I'm not sure. Yeah, but. I think he got down to because th- he had to lose some weight. So yeah. I think he got down to like three twenty at three sixty. So. And Vinny Mahota just had to move up, and he hasn't even touched three hundred yet. So the dynamic for Ricky Walker, I think, is going to be a little bit different this year with Mahota next to him and that move over compared to having Big Tim settle because everybody was eyeing the big guy. He was just. I think I the way I always looked at it was. You know, Tim Settle was the disruptor using his weight to kind of open the gap, and then Ricky would shoot through it and just blast guys uh, right through. And I'll be very interested. It could be amazing because they're both going to be a lot quicker. I mean, Settle Settle was amazing, but I wouldn't call him quick. I know, you know, he was quick for his size. Yeah, he was very <laughs> quick for his size. So I'll give him that. The one thing about Mahota is he's just a bull. Yeah, and he gets his arms up. You might see some more deflected passes. Um, Although, didn't Timmy get his hands up the other night for the Redskins? He, he did. He did. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think, obviously, it's not going to be as good as the pairing of Settle and Walker could have been. But I think Mahota's a very good player and just kind of more of like a plays with force kind of player. Yeah. And how about behind them? How? Ger- Gerard Hewitt. I mean, you know, I know that's not a guy we've talked about much on this podcast, but this offseason, I feel like every week we're hearing something good about Gerard Hewitt, whether it's the weight room or the way he took over the scrimmage the other day or whatever. So if Mahota can't go initially, because he's still battling a couple different things. He had the ACL, and I think he also has shoulder issues. So yes. if he can't go right away, I feel good about Hewitt, too, as the third spot. It's four and five that are, you know, we got Xavier Burke, we got Jimmy Taylor, Fullwood. But, it, you know, I think it's Burke as the fourth guy. But, yeah, there's, there's depth issues there. Yeah. But, but I feel strong about the, the top three. Yeah, I think the top three are good. And Burke I actually feel pretty good about. Um, you know, he's been exhibiting. He hasn't been exciting, but people have spoke good things about him. He had since to play he in the there. UVA game last year and looked yeah. pretty good. So uh, I, I feel almost – I think we can go – I think we can go too deep. Beyond that, <laughs> we're in we're – in, uh, deep trouble. I think if we if we have some injuries, this is the if position. If Ricky were to go down, it would be very bad. Yeah, it could that could be bad. All right, let's talk defensive ends. This, on the other hand, is very deep position. We've got Hill and Gaines as the two starters. I think this could be the best pass rush on the outside we've had in quite some time. We had a Canham and Mahota, what two years ago on the outside, and that was pretty excellent. Uh, but this is going to be so much more athletic. Unlike Mahota, Hill and Gaines are. They both got great bend, a lot more quickness, and I think our sack number should go up this year. Yeah, it'll be good to see Gaines, uh, you know, coming in as now a, a presumed starter. We think he's going to be the starter. Obviously, you know, he's even said it himself. Uh, I'm going to be the starter this year. I got to really step up. Uh, but on top of that, Hill was excellent last year. I mean, he, he was, was 
He roots really Nine good. Nine and a half the, tackles for loss for him last year. Yeah, he's the second most returning tackles just overall uh, coming back to the team. I think those two are going to be dangerous and bring a lot of energy to this defensive line, and and more so than I think we've seen in a, in a little bit, and at the appropriate size, too. Yeah. Like That's the other key, I think, on defensive end. Sometimes we're a little light. Sometimes we're a little heavy. I think we're actually fitting Everyone's well. like 240-ish, including the backups, who are all young, but – like our linebackers, a lot of talent here. Belmar, DeBose, Proctor, Garbit, and the freshman Eli Adams has been making a push for playing time too. There's a lot of options here, and I think DeBose is the guy French has been talking about since day one. Proctor, he's been high on as well. So there's some. I think Proctor and Garbit were both four stars. Belmar is the most experienced of those guys and will probably play the most uh, as the third defensive end. But um, every, I, I feel like. Every, every other day, we hear about a new defensive end. It, they just keep coming out of the woodwork, and that's why Porcher had to move to defensive tackle. Yeah. And I, I also want to give credit to um, you know, Gaines, because Gaines was suspended, if you remember, back in yeah. 2016, along with Alexander, which uh, you know, that <laughs> probably related to some of his academic issues yeah. that left him out of the program. Um, the fact that the coaches are speaking highly about somebody that had some trouble back in you know 2016, he obviously kind of learned the ropes, figured out what he wanted to do, committed to the team. Uh, they, the team, I, and I, the coaches would not be speaking well about him and, and, and thinking positively about him, and even taking kind of that leap of faith unless they thought he had his act together. So credit to him for getting his stuff together, and I'm I'm super excited to see what he's going to do on the field this year. I've got really high hopes for this line. It's deep, it's talented, it's got to carry the defense. And with how young the secondary is, with how young the linebackers are, they need to shorten the amount of time that the quarterback has to evaluate the field. And if that happens, it's going to be so much better for the young corners. Yeah, and better for the linebackers. If they can, if they can, you know, if they can speed up decision making, that'll allow the linebackers to use the athleticism that they know that they have it won't let them tie up their feet. They can use their athleticism to their benefit, and it'll actually make up for some mistakes in terms of decision-making and things like that in the young linebacker core, too. So um, I agree with you. We're going to do our overall thoughts on the defense uh, at the end after we finish our offensive positions. But for right now, let's take a quick beer break. Robbie, what are you drinking? So we're at the GOAT. They got a, a few good beers here. I went with... The grapefruit sculpin. Uh, I think everybody knows. Uh, West Coast. Yeah, I think everybody knows Bell's Point by this point. Point, point. And, uh, yeah, it's it's good. It's a little bit tart or whatever the case may be, however you want to characterize grapefruit. I actually don't like grapefruit, but I like their grapefruit sculpin. They do a few of them. They have the watermelon. They have, you know, a bunch of different, uh, the Dorado, I think it is is the watermelon it's good i i i like it yeah it's a good it's a good go-to it's a good summer beer yeah so what about you i'm having the lagunitas ipa uh like robbie said got a bunch of beers on tab a lot of good options i'm not sure what i'll get for my next one but the lagunitas is a good way to to ease the hangover i have from last night we we tore up arlington a little bit last night staying with my buddy richard and uh you know, it was a late one. Let's just say that. So I, I, I'm, I'm hurting a little bit, but the Lagunitas is, uh, is making it that much easier. All right, let's talk about offense, man. This is, this is the bright side of the team. I, I, and not that defense was doom and gloom or anything, but when you look at what we're bringing back on this side of the ball, this could take 
a giant leap forward or maybe just one step forward? And I, I'm curious as to your thoughts. We only lost McMillan, Cam, and then Teller and Gallo on the O-line. None of those losses are too big to overcome. I, I know it was our best receiver and arg- arguably our best running back and our best offensive lineman. But somehow, I still don't think any of them are too big to overcome. Yeah. Well, you know, Teller is a big loss just from his pancakes. But And I'll save my comments about him specifically because I do, I do hit on him when we get into who's replacing him because I think it's exciting. Um, and French thinks it's exciting, which, you know, as we all know, that, that just makes He's it even better. He's the offensive line guy. Yeah. The, uh, the loss of Cam... I know, I believe he was as productive as he was because we didn't have anything else as as much as he was extremely talented. I don't. I this is a hard more yards than our other two receivers combined, like the two and three guy combined. Yeah, this is a hard you know high wire to walk because I don't want to take anything away from Cam, but he also got as many looks, as much productivity, et cetera, because we had so many young guys. On on uh, on the field, and because you know that w- he became the go-to after um, you know the other two left, so that I'm excited about this offense. Uh, I got to be honest with you. And let's just tell you where we're starting off because last year we were 93rd in yards per play and 96th in offensive S and P plus. So <laughs> this was not a good offense by by those two metrics, and it, no yards per play is not an advanced metric. But if it more often than not lines up with the S&P ranking. So if you're around 100th in offense, that's not very good. So, yeah, we're excited, but we have to realize that last year wasn't good, and even if it does take a step forward, it still might not be top 50. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, um, well, I'll save it for the end. Yeah. And, uh, Let's do O-line. Let's start with the big boys. This should finally be a strength for the team. Even with the loss of Teller, the way Vance Vice is recruited and the way the coaches have been talking about the guys and the starters, it, I just am so excited. And one thing that you can just look at, this is very simplistic. I tweeted it out a couple months ago. We've got eight guys over 310 pounds. We haven't had that many since 2007. Size is not everything, but it is something. That's what she said. Uh, so the offensive line, by the way, uh, I I agree. I think um, he Vince Vice got, got a lot of heat probably two years ago and even a year ago about what he was trying to do on the offensive line, and I think that now it has we're seeing you know that come to fruition, which is really exciting, and it, it just goes to show that. You got to have trust in your coaches. You got to have trust in uh, you know who's running your your offense and your offensive line. And we hadn't we didn't have any consistency in the offensive line coaching. I mean, there was turnover what three years in a row. I think it was it, it changed hands, and now we have it. And we're seeing his players start kind of coming in the system. And I know Kyle Chung's been around for forty five years, <laughs> and Nijman was you know obviously experienced player, but. I think that even the depth we're seeing are some of his players that he's bringing in, and not only that, but his his methodology and his mentality that he's bringing to the offensive line I think is even more exciting. Getting Chung back for that sixth year was huge, and he's moving from right tackle to center, taking over for Eric Gallo, and that allows us a couple different things. One, they're going to move Nijman over to right tackle because Silas Zanzi has made a huge push 
in spring and now in fall camp. And they feel comfortable putting a freshman at left tackle, which is kind of amazing. And if he sticks and plays as good as they think he's going to play, that's a four-year starter, which is incredible. They also feel really strongly about Derrishaw on the other side uh, at right tackle behind behind Nijman. Now, Nijman's a great player and is, is our best offensive lineman this year. But <laughs> to move him from you know what protects your quarterback, the blind side, to right tackle for a freshman just shows you how strongly they must feel about Zanzi. Yeah, I think across the board, the starting five um, is is fantastic. And I think even if you go to the, to the next level, when you're looking at you know Smith, Derisaw, Hoyt, and the other Smith, because we have two of them, yeah. uh, it, it gets a little confusing there. But I think we can I think we can almost run like nine deep probably that are really confident it seems in that way it seems um, that way at the at the offensive line uh i don't think that we can rotate constantly but i think we can give people breathers and spells that uh should be pretty comfortable with i will say kyle chung the this has popped up in the past <laughs> him snapping, the snapping uh, yes the snapping issues are going to continue as soon as those are ironed out i'll feel great about the entire offensive line um, but the news coming out for all of these guys is extremely uh, exciting. And Planton, the only thing with him replacing Wyatt Teller, I don't know what that's going to end up looking like. But it should be uh, it should be exciting. Oh, some someone just over there just ordered us some shots. A guy in a VT hat. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, Planton replacing Teller. That's you know it's going to be a step down. But French, we, we he, he was saying in an article what, maybe a month ago. That, like, the potential, because Wyatt Teller was, like, a highlight block kind of guy. Like, he would just smash a guy into the ground, and you're like, that's awesome. But then he wasn't that good in, like, pass blocking sometimes. You that's know? right. He, he made mistakes. Uh, so while he was a great lineman and is better than Planton is probably right now, the potential for Planton is very high. Yeah, I think of Planton as exactly what you just said. Planton it could be kind of the steady state of what you want at, at that left guard um, versus the highlight reel um, of what it's going to end up being. So you're 100% on, and I think um, that that's, you know, the highlight reel is great, and that shows what your upside ability is, but sometimes you just kind of want the, the steady, you know, you know that he's going to be consistent across the board. Yeah, what French the way French put it was, Plan could be better at absorbing double teams and sliding to the second level, which I understand what that means, but I wouldn't have picked that up. <laughs> no, I, no, and it, it is interesting going back and watching some of the clips that French highlights and just thinking back to why Teller, he was always concentrated on picking up that defensive lineman and launching him as far as possible. Yeah, he was never worried about the linebacker behind. To, to get off the block or get off the push and then take out a, a linebacker as well. He was like, I'm just going to eject this guy from the game. So I, it makes a lot of sense when you start to kind of look back and, and what he did. But nothing, don't take away anything from Teller. Yeah. I mean, he was amazing. Yeah. So. We're, we're splitting hairs to make this team's, this year's team sound better. But yeah, we're, we're going to miss Teller a little bit. The, the nice thing is, even beyond the two deep on the offensive line, the young dudes that have come in are enormous and highly rated. Walker Culver, uh, uh, what, Joe Kane moved over to offensive line. Who's the other big guy that just came in? Uh, Luke Tenuta. He's yeah. like six foot seven. Yeah, he's gigantic. Uh, I'm, I could not be more excited about the offensive line. I think 
I, I'm really excited about the linebackers, but offensive line's right back, right behind them on my excitement scale. So we're going to uh, – we'll have to find out who this gentleman is here uh, that showed up to the GOAT, but uh, bought us a – Bought us a drink, so we're gonna uh, we're gonna take this right now and then figure out uh, who it was uh, afterwards. But yeah. super appreciative. Yeah. Cheers. That was bourbon. That was bourbon. <laughs> it was pretty good. Delicious. Thanks again. Hey man, go Hokies. Hey. Thanks. Appreciate it. What's your name? Corey. Hey, Corey. Hey, Robin. Dude, do you need a koozie, man? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, dude. Take a few of them. Hey, dude. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks for listening, buddy. Yeah, dude, it was great. What was it? Basil Hayden. I was like, it was a little nicer. It was good. I was like, this tastes like real. I was like, this is not wild turkey. It was very smooth. This is like really good. Yeah, no, I wasn't going to go for the wild turkey one. Yeah, we've done it many times. Have a good one. Well, it turns out those shots were from a listener named Corey, and he just happened to be here by coincidence. He wasn't following us around, but he was what on social media noticed we were here. Yeah, he said, uh, "Well, these people are at the goat. I'm at the goat as well." And turned around, and there we are recording. So uh, the the two losers uh, sitting at a table, uh, hanging out, uh, drinking beer, and uh, talking about football. We very much appreciate it, though. Too, it was some good bourbon. Yes, it was delicious. Kind of lost our place there, but we were talking about the offensive line. So. A good segue would be to immediately move to running back because that's who's going to benefit the most from this O-line. And, again, as we've experienced so many times in the past, it's going to be a committee again this year. But I think that, personally, we could have someone emerge, and, and that person is McLeese. You might feel more strongly about someone else. Yeah, I think uh, – I, and I actually have really high hopes for McLeese, just more on um, on the outside uh, a little bit. Yeah, he's a little bit shiftier, but I – I think it's underrated in terms of what Stephen Peoples did last year, and he was injured at, uh, at a certain point during the season where he was taking that uh, that leg leg injury. Uh, I think it was a foot injury, but he is a um, he's our bruising back. Uh, I guess is uh, he picks up the tough yards, which you need sometimes. You know, you got you got a third and two, and who's going to end up running it? It's going to be somebody like Stephen Peoples. So I think collectively between those two, um, with uh, you know Holston. And Coleman, <laughs> Coleman Fox coming in, the uh, uh, and and being more more productive. But I'm I'm kind of hanging my hat on McLeese and Stephen Peoples. Uh, one to be more dynamic, the other one to uh, be a bit more kind of short yardage back. That's more of a bruiser. Stephen Peoples showed a lot of great burst in the bowl game, and honestly, he was a lot quicker than I even thought. And we rushed for a lot of yards in that game. And towards the end of the season, we did see the running game improve. We were getting to that four-yard per carry mark from the running backs. Our sacks would knock down the total. But if you looked at what the running backs were doing, they were getting four yards per carry those last four, three games or so. So I have hope that it will improve this year, build upon the end of the year's success. The crazy thing is, five of the last six years, we haven't run for four yards a carry. I know. It's astounding. We've done it once. We had 4.02. I want to say that was 2015 or something. doesn't matter the year. It is pathetic. We're probably last in yards per carry in the ACC over the last six years. I can't imagine we'd be in front of anyone. Yeah, and, you know, I uh, it's been 
to almost to nauseum the commentary that's been going out there is about making the you know that hat miss to, to, to make making p- people miss in the open field or you know in the open field. I, I think that even if that doesn't happen, the the progression in the offensive line should help, and the the development, the depth in the offensive line should help um, tremendously in the run game. It, it really will. We were 124th nationally and runs over 20 yards. So it's not just like the per carry thing. A lot of that's because we're not getting the explosive runs. And so that that seven runs over 20 yards, like that's hard to believe how low that is. <laughs> and our longest run by a running back was 35 yards on the year. I, I mean, yeah, there was never, I mean, try and remember the last time a running back for us outside of, I guess it would be, the, like when you're visually thinking about it, it would be the Sam Rogers run against Ohio State. Yeah, um, would be the last time you're like. Well, and that oh. was a pass. I think. Oh yeah, and then, yeah. I think that was actually <laughs> that yeah, was, a pass was it like a screen yeah, screen pass. Like <laughs> um, so actually, I can't remember the last time that there was a run that was like electric in the fan base. It was, was McMillan down the sideline against NC State <laughs> in 2015. That's what comes to my mind. That's bad. Yeah. Uh, that's really bad. bad. So, so anyway, yeah, we, we have some issues here, but I do think the combination of a better O-line and McLeese putting on some weight, Holston being the guy they recruited, I mean, they were so high on Holston last year, and I think he had a sickness or something. Yeah. And he's trimmed down. He can make guys miss. He showed it a little bit at the end of the year. McLeese had a really strong finish to the year. I think he ran for – 88 yards per game and almost six yards a carry the last three games of the season. He really showed that wiggle and that speed that I've always kind of seen, but like he's never had a chance. He's always better when he gets 10 carries or more. I I think he's the kind of guy who needs more touches. What do you think about Cole Beck's prospects? He's a true freshman. He, Uh, he's got a lot of speed, not Coleman Fox, Cole Beck. I know. I know. Uh, he is fast. I think he's he's going to be good for us. But I think uh, I, I think that there's only so much room. I, I, when people look back and they look at uh, to your point about McLeese, he needs some time to warm up. He need he's the guy that needs ten carries, and on the eleventh, he might be able to break something off. Stephen Peoples is more the type that like you just throw him in in short yardage, and he's going to thump for you know five six, and then. I don't know if there's enough room to to have, you know, five five people touching the field yeah. at this point, and I, I I feel like the coaches should realize that as well. I get the whole by committee standpoint, like their their perception, and it has to be. If you don't have a workhorse that you don't feel confident in, then you need two, three, you know, running backs that you'll put out on the field. I just don't know how deep you can go. Yeah. How many people can you really put out there? Without it just being an absolute nightmare, like everybody's cold, like you you warm up for a reason. Like you yeah. get into the flow, you read the defense, you see where you want to kind of go. I just don't know how deep we. Can I think go. it'll be like a 65-35 split. Sixty-five being McLeese, thirty-five being the rest. Yeah. And Peoples will probably be twenty of that thirty-five, yeah. and then we'll fill in the gaps with sweeps and Holston and other guys. Now Holston has the potential to be a future bell cow of this running game, but. I don't know if it's going to happen for him this year because I think they are high on McLeese. Let's move to wide receiver. This is another position with a lot of options and a good amount of depth, but who's going to truly show their worth? The 
guy that I'm most excited about is Hazel- Hazelton. And that's mainly because we've never seen him before. Like, everyone always loves the backup QB because, you know, you've never seen him play. And if the starter's kind of screwing up, you're like, put in the backup. I'm that way with Hazleton. We haven't seen him, but everything I've watched from his Ball State tape, everything I've read, I am so excited about him. Are you off the Eric Kuma train then? I'm off Eric Kuma. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, here we go. Uh, I, you- I like Kuma. Trust. I, he's going to make plays this year, and he's probably – the other outside receiver, like it'll be Hazleton on one side and Kuma on the other. But Kuma, while good, is not dynamic enough. He's got strong hands. He can really pull the football in. But he's not like the speedster, make people miss, yards after the catch guy. I, I think um, I agree with you. I'm, I'm excited about seeing Hazleton. I, well, let's take it a different approach. Almost all of our production from a wide receiver standpoint is back outside of camp we all know it but everybody else is back everybody as far down as you can go you can go almost like nine deep and every person that caught a pass is back um from the wide receiver or tight end standpoint the sean savoy i think people feel good about and most people are looking at him as the only one that was productive I think uh, Josh Jackson was just looking for a safety net, and the safety net was always throwing it to Cam. He needed to throw it to somebody. So, like, Savoy was getting the runoff from from Cam, but I kind of think that Savoy potentially, like, played beyond his year. Like, just because they needed to throw to somebody, so they're throwing it to him. I don't think he'll get as many yards as he got last year this year. He could. He had 454 yards and four touchdowns last year. But he could easily finish under that just because of the bevy of options we have this year. And Hezekiah Grimsley looks to take his slot spot, and they might be moving Sean to the outside too. So I don't know what that means for Sean. Will he be? Is he behind Patterson and Kuma and Hazelton on the outside? Probably. Yeah. I, I mean, if you went through the names, and this may mean that we don't have anybody that we know is going to be really good. But if you look through passing options, Savoy, Kuma, Patterson, Grimsley, Hazelton, Cunningham, and Keene, I like that. I, I got to be honest. Like, yeah. and and that's and then there's James Mitchell, who's people have been starting to Drake talk Delius. to. Yeah, the, um, I'm sorry, but the more options, the better. Yeah, it's I a mean, lot of pass catchers. There it, are a lot of options and to go to, whether it's tight end or wide receiver. And it's a, a, a lot can be said for the fact that what all we had in the past was one really good pass catcher. It's moving forward that you have that many options. That's what like we want to move. Fuente said time and time again, that's how many times. They want like eight people that can be out there on the field at any one time um, and not feel like they're losing something. We're approaching that. And everybody is very hesitant to just say, well, then everybody sucks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think we might actually have a lot of like, and guess what? I would err on the side of having a lot of like pretty good players, like a bunch of them, rather than having just one elite one. Because guess what? You know, just having Cam or Ford or, you know, Isaiah, it doesn't, that's not going to carry you very far. Um, you need, you need the seven, eight, nine guys because you need guys to step up at different games and, and whatnot. Just to finish out some of the names, Trey Turner's made a lot of noise in camp since coming into school, and he could definitely go past that four game redshirt rule and play a lot this year. And Caleb Smith, another freshman who wasn't very heralded, has been. Causing a buzz. Like we've been hearing his name quite a bit. So he's six foot two, two oh six, big target. 
that's the other thing I love about Hazelton and Kuma is that they're six foot two. They're both two twenty. In fact, I think Hazelton, according to his Hill Gaines picture, was six three and a quarter. So I don't know why the roster doesn't link up with the uh, with the Gaines pictures, but whatever. We got some big receivers. Uh, for reference, Des Bryant is six two two twenty. So I, just to give you an idea, these guys can really be a force on the outside, and I'm extremely excited about it. I, I really like Grimsley, too. I, I said he's going to probably take over that slot spot, but he made some really athletic catches and a very important catch in the UVA game as well. He had 10 catches in his last two games last year. I think the slot is overlooked a lot of times because everybody wants to. I was listening to a podcast, not to go too far off, but they were talking about Des, uh, Des Bryant and what happened. And they said how they never used Des Bryant uh, in different ways. They just like kind of like like the out route. They were like, hey, just run. And he never really outran everybody. He could get a jump ball as good as anybody. But I, the slot is where things really start to change up. And you look at Ohio State, they use the slot receiver very very well for you know and i think those types of positions are extremely important to the overall dynamic of the offense while the flash is on the outside well a lot of the meat and you know the grinding you know the, how the hot dog is uh, actually produced it can be on the inside as well and i think it's important so i'm excited to see him move there i don't see any wide receiver on our team going over a thousand this year that's just not going to happen with with like you said there's so many options but I could see as many as four going over 500. I really could. Absolutely agree with that. Because you got you're going to have 3,000 plus yards to work with. A few of these guys are going to emerge. You could easily have four guys, you know, produce at that level. I that, totally agree. That's with that. exciting. We did talk about the tight ends. Keen could be the, the H back that Fuente recruited him to be this year. He obviously was a freshman last year and and wasn't always perfect, especially in his blocking, but. I mean, he's six four. He's a big target. I think. I think Chris Cunningham, which I didn't realize. I think he. I was just looking at it yesterday. He's only like six two, six four. Don Keen. I think he's going to be um, really special for this team. It may take a little while for it to continue to develop, but I think people should be scared of him. Yeah. I, I think he's a good option. The crazy thing about Keen and Cunningham and that pair. They averaged 18 yards per catch between their catches. There's only like 19 catches between the two of them, but all of those catches on average went for 18 yards. So there th was big play potential when we did use the tight end. I literally put in, they're always, they were sneaky threat, yeah. is what I wrote in my notes. Is whenever Cunningham One or does two something, a game. yeah, it was a touchdown in it at a time, and it was a, or it was a big gain when you weren't expecting it. I love that about like, using a tight end when people are like, oh, this is definitely going to so-and-so, and then Cunningham goes out and catches a pass. And the potential for James Mitchell down the road, uh, he could have an impact this year for sure, but, man, he was a high recruit, and he has all the potential in the world to be a tremendous tight end for us. All right, let's, we, we have saved the best for last. Let's do quarterback. We know who the starter is. It's Retro sophomore Josh Jackson, 6'1", 215 pounds. You guys should be familiar with him. Josh is kind of a polarizing guy uh, in the fan base. Have the people are willing to accept his mistakes as being a freshman and appreciate the hot start and be with him even when he was struggling. And others are like, this guy sucks. <laughs> and I don't like him. He's not accurate enough. We need a new quarterback. Oh, we have Quincy Patterson coming in. Let him start or let Hendon Hooker start. So there's, there's two sides to it. Me and you are more willing to forgive Josh. 
I don't know if that's just because we like to be PC on this podcast or that's how we actually feel. No, that's I, how everybody should feel. I like to be feel. honest and like, that's how I feel. I've been trying to let the freshman come along because I know Justin Fuente can develop a quarterback. His first seven, eight games probably last year, probably seven games, were good. I mean, they were on. They were they were pretty good games. The back end, we don't know what happened. Yeah. And guess what? He was a freshman. Also, yeah, yeah, yo, he was only one of what seventeen freshmen that played. Uh, I think last year that started, and seventeen. There's 132 teams or whatever in 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 college football. So let's see what happens in his development. And the fact that Fuente came out and said so nonchalantly that he was the starter if anybody has a question and what Fuente has done with quarterbacks in the past and, and, and what he's developed out of them if anybody still has a question then you're just confused in the way that you know a program works because he's obviously the best for what we need today he may not be the best quarterback but he's the best for what we need today and this season I agree and Let's talk about last year's numbers. About 60% completion percentage, just about 3,000 yards, 7.5 yards per attempt, 20 TDs, 9 INTs. None of that's going to just blow you away, obviously. Through his first three games, though, everyone was like, this guy's amazing. And he was probably dealing with a little bit of an injury down the stretch. Defenses started switching the way they were defending us based on what they saw against West Virginia and ECU, etc. And it changed. And unfortunately... He had to struggle through a lot of criticism. I think with a full off season, even though that even had like the hiccup of his academic status being in question, I think he's matured quite a bit. And the way that the coaches talk about him and how they feel about him, I, I think he's going to be good this year. I think he's going to take a big step forward. They said he's been in the playbook so much more. He's The way he's prepared, him and Hendon Hooker, they've been very complimentary of, of how well they've worked over the summer, how much work they've put in over the summer. So I looked at Paxton Lynch's stats under Justin Fuente, and that's something that other people have done. I think uh, Joel on the key play did a good article on it. And there, there's something to be said for the projection that Fuente does with his quarterbacks. You can look at Andy Dalton, you can look at Lynch. Let's just take Lynch at Memphis. He went from 58 to 62 in his completion percentage, plus 1,000 yards in passing. Two yards and yards per attempt. These are big jumps from first-year starter to second-year starter. I think that Josh could make those type of jumps. Absolutely. And the fact that he's developed now with his wide receivers, he came in, and yes, there's no doubt about Cam Phillips and how good he was, but those two were both new to each other in a lot of respect. He's, these, are, these are wide receivers that he's coming back to, that he has had a full season and now an off season, and now he's going into his season uh, throwing to. If, uh, let, let's do our, our, our annual me putting my foot in my mouth. If his stats are not measurably better in some respects than last year, I would be completely like blown uh, like yeah. out of the water. Brian Marcolini on the key play did a really good piece about Brian Randall and comparing him to Josh Jackson and the 04 season. We won the ACC in 04. We went to the Sugar Bowl. And in that year, Randall wasn't necessarily that much better as a player, but everyone around him had gotten better. So even if you don't think Josh is going to improve, to your point, 
the wide receivers and how many we have, the running backs being more seasoned, it could all lead to the narrative on Josh being changed. And just, just for shits and giggles, I decided to do a projection based on how Paxton Lynch's stats progressed to Josh. For 2018, I think it could be 63.5% completion percentage, 28 TDs instead of the 20 he had last year, and 153 rating compared to 130. Those, And think about if we got that type of production from him. That's a top 10 quarterback probably. Top, in, yeah, top 15, uh, yeah. 8.5 yards per attempt, 3,600 yards just to finish out the projection. That's a top 15 quarterback in FBS. It's a little lofty, but if you look at the way Fuente's quarterbacks have progressed, that's what happens. And when you add in everything that we have, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I I didn't run the numbers. You did. But yeah. I they again, the, I'm looking at a piece of paper. So on paper, <laughs> this looks good. But I don't know if it's going to turn out that way. Uh, well, we should definitely hit on what's behind him. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think I mean, that is uh, – and in fact – you know, people have gone so far as to say that the discussion is almost not about him. It's almost about what's what's behind him, which I think is equally as important. I'm stoked about what Josh Jackson's going to do this year, absolutely. So Ryan Willis is the backup. At least that's what we think right now. Hennon Hooker seems to be making a push. Willis looked great in the spring game. People were even – the people who hate Josh Jackson were like, this guy should be starting. What they're not seeing in that spring game is – the million interceptions he threw at Kansas his first year starting. Now, I know he has starting experience in an FBS program, a Power 5 program, if you want to call Kansas that. I don't know if we can. But he wasn't good there. And he might have had a good day on the spring game, but we're not seeing the mistakes he's making in practice. There's a reason Josh is beating him out. And I, I'm not trying to knock Willis too much here because I am glad we have a quarterback backing Josh up, unlike A.J. Bush last year, where Fuente didn't trust him to throw. He will trust Willis to throw if Josh were to go down with an injury. I think he'll trust Hendon Hooker to, to throw as well, based on what we've been hearing. And Hendon Hooker is probably the best running quarterback on the roster. I think, um, back to your point, uh, the, what, what was interesting in it, to Brian's article on the key play is fantastic. It, it's one of the best pieces. It's and really I know good. a lot of people have said it, but it was one of the best pieces I've read in the, in the offseason. And, the analogy that he made. Um, but I think one of the things that jumped off the page for me, which everybody else was focused on the analogy, I was focused on who's the backup that you would put on the field versus who might actually see the field this year. Those are not the same answers because with the new redshirt rules, you might actually see Quincy Patterson out on the field versus Willie Mar- and Mary or something like that um, versus what happens when he goes down or if he goes down or you need somebody, um, you might see somebody different. So I think the unique portion of the new rules influencing what's going to happen at quarterback is you may some see somebody on the field who is not the default backup yeah. to, to Josh Jackson, which is kind of a cool concept if you think about it. Like You have to think about quarterback position in almost two different ways because Everybody knew Josh Jackson was going to be the starter. I mean, if you didn't and you thought it was going to be Hendon Hooker, uh, I don't know what to do because that, that was never happening. That was not a possibility that was, was actually going to happen. But it's cool to think about what could be happening at the QB position in terms of who we see on the field this year. Yeah, Patterson looks like he's due for a red shirt just because of the depth we have. I know people are very excited about him. I was excited about him. 
we would that would have only happened if Josh was dismissed from school. Like, could have like when we were talking about that over the summer, it was in question whether he's going to come back. If he but had, he can play four games, right? Or he can play in four games and still redshirt. I still don't know if we're going to see Patterson at all. I guarantee we will see him in. Oh, really? hundred. Maybe we should make it interesting. Yeah, if if we're up, if we're not up by either ECU, William and Mary. ODU any of those three games by enough where we can put him in in the fourth quarter with no repercussion you get a free it's a free game you get no repercussion other than injury which you could get that during practice. Well, let, let me make a counterpoint if if Josh Jackson were to go down and you need Willis to play wouldn't you want him to get as many reps as possible the spare reps why would you be using a guy in Quincy Patterson who you never plan to play this year because Fuente's comments have been, we're really young. We're not going to use that excuse anymore. Fuente is planning for 19 and 20 to make a serious run. I, I don't care what anybody – you can disagree with me. That's fine. But Fuente is positioning with the media. With He he brought that up at ACC Media Days. This was not a – this wasn't a small conference. He, Fuente is trying to make a serious run in 19 or 20. Yeah. And – it's probably going to be 20. We need an over-under on QP snaps, and we'll make a bet. I'm, I'm born happy to do that. Okay. I, I, I think he'll, he'll get on the field. Um, yeah, I agree with that. But I understand, and this is why this is such a fun ar- question, it's not even an argument, is who's the backup versus who's the future yeah. is actually now a discussion. Before it wasn't because you had to pull his red shirt yeah. if he was going to hit the right. field. It wouldn't um, be a question with last year's rules. Yes. Absolutely. And that's why it's a fun kind of conversation to have. Okay, so done with QB? Are we done? Okay. We're good. That was probably uh, my most excitement. of, uh, <laughs> And it was the most. It was the easiest decision. It was like, yeah, Josh Jackson's the starter. It was nice compared to the last two years not to have to him and Hall over who's potentially going to be the starter and project and that kind of thing. Uh, before we take a beer break special teams would we be a complete podcast if we don't talk about our punter oscar bradburn he was 48th nationally in punt distance yes i looked that up uh 12 of his 66 punts went 50 plus yards and he had a 57 yarder versus uva the kid's got a leg he was up for the ray guy award um the question really isn't at punter it's at kicker is it going to be brian johnson or stout stout has the big leg johnson kicked a little bit last year when joey sly was i know you don't care i know no, no. My point was, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like, I like, if if there is my my lack of knowledge of offensive line is only surpassed by my lack of knowledge of kicker. Yeah, <laughs> I I I think Johnson will start the year as our kicker. Stout might be doing kickoffs or something. The fun part of special teams, of course, is the return guys, and the idea of having Caleb Farley back there returning kicks. I think it moved. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> To quote, went from George six Costanza. to midnight. <laughs> six to midnight. Uh, I it, it moved, but it also kind of scared me because uh, of injury risk. That's my only concern in terms of excitement. I think he could just open up the field. Uh, it, it could be, um, it could be really exciting. Yeah. CJ Carroll, I think, will be punt returner, but yeah. I don't really know. They haven't, yeah. I haven't heard a lot of news on who's going to be returning the kicks, other than. Farley, a kick returner. I think Devin Hunter worked a little bit last year at those two, so we'll see. But if it's Hunter and Farley back returning kicks, those are our two most like athletic guys. I, 
I, you couldn't ask for any more like of a fan's pick than those two picks. Yeah, everybody's going to be like, hey, if you had to pick two people that you're excited about that you want to see do something awesome, you'd be like, ah, let's see Devin Hunter. I mean, they were people were hyped about Devin Hunter, and there has been no bigger conversation uh, than than Farley. Yeah, wh- which side of the ball is he going to play? He should be a receiver, but he's going to play corner. So, yeah, th- those two speedsters uh, – and just athletes in general, it's it's great to see them. If they return the kicks, I'm going to be very pumped about that. Let's take a beer break before we give our final thoughts and record predictions. Pete, what are you drinking? Well, I think me and you are actually drinking the same thing right now. I That's got, I right. Get, we went with the bottles this time. I'm having a Bell's Too Hearted. Bell's, I, I've been drinking it all summer, the Oberon. It's one of my go-tos. Their Christmas ale during the wintertime is also one of my favorites. But Too Hearted, standby. One of the first IPAs I think I ever enjoyed. Yeah. The Too Hearted is, I'm always surprised by how many people carry it because it's... It's everywhere. It's everywhere you go that they have it. And I love it. It's a... Um, um, it's not a this, double, right? Not, it's no. A, no, it's just, a, it's just a regular IPA, American. Um, but it's got a more muddled kind of taste to it, which is um, um, I actually appreciate that it's not a negative thing. It's kind of not like an in-your-face IPA. It's like very smooth. And I think that's why a lot of people carry it is it's just for you could like It's lagers. the non-IPA drinker's IPA. Yeah. No, that's a great way to put it. Um, but I've loved Two Hearted forever. Um and Bell's puts out a lot of great stuff. They have, like, the Hop Slam, which is, like, the big, like, in-your-face. But really, they make all their money off of, like, Two Hearted, I think, because it's everywhere. And the Oberon. But Oberon is not even as accessible as Two Hearted, I don't think, anymore. And I think I like Two Hearted better, honestly. I, I, I tweeted out a picture of the day on the beach of me drinking an Oberon in, in our Too Deep koozie. And I was like, I did this exact same thing last summer. So I like I replied to last year's too. I'm just, I'm just like in my 30s and doing the same thing every year. I realized it the other day. It was like so stark. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna take a cool picture. Wait, I already did this. This is so unique. <laughs> Wait, this is what I did yesterday. <laughs> I made oatmeal today. I've oh, also been no. listening to the same like 20 songs since 2013. So, yeah. okay, now it's time for our summary: defense, offense, thoughts, maybe a point per game prediction. I don't know. But let's start with defense. Obviously, it's going to take a step back. I, I don't think there's any way to avoid that. With the way our a nuclear bomb was detonated in our secondary, I don't think you could not. Yeah, we were top 10 team last year. In many statistics, we were top 10. We were first in opponent completion percentage, second and third down rate, fourth in scoring D. This was the top 10 defense last year. So you're replacing Stroman, Faison, Terrell, Adonis, Tremaine, Motu, Mook, Settle. Two first-round draft picks, yeah. by the way. <laughs> On top of that, the first two brothers that have ever been drafted in the same uh, first-round draft class. And you lost key backups, too. Chagog and Newsom are gone. I mean, linebacker is just as, you know, is just as depleted as the secondary. So although when we go over positions, we sound very positive, we know, we know there's going to be some heartache. There's going to be some growing pains. I do think the run D will still be fairly solid. It's against the pass where we struggled last year. It's going to be a problem again. My main concern, and it probably didn't come out when we were going through it and I was thinking about the position groups, is the pass rush is going to be a significant problem this year, I think. Um, if I had to... You think it's going to be worse? I think 
somebody's going to get injured, and I think we're going to be running really thin at, at people that have the size, the body, the weight, and, and and the athleticism to run at the defensive tackle position. I feel fine at defensive end, um, but up the middle, I think that that concerns me on the defensive back side of it. Bud Foster's been around for, what, 29 years, uh, I guess, at Virginia Tech. This is probably one of the top four to five times that he has to reset at defensive back in terms of having fresh blood. I think um, it's his fourth most inexperienced defense overall. Well, there you go. I guess I was, I was pretty close. David so. Teal put that in his article. Yeah, I didn't read that. but uh, So this is going to really, if he puts out a good defense this year, like a top I don't know, if he puts out a top 35, 40, 50 defense, probably probably 40 defense this year, that would be incredible. Literally, that's going to make him like one of the best defense scorers ever. If the D-line stays healthy, and I, I, <laughs> I'm going to err on the size of, side of positivity, if they stay healthy, it should definitely be a top 50 unit. The, that line will be a steadying force for the defense. The ceiling is probably 30-ish. That's the ceiling uh, as S&P Plus yards per play perspective. Like 30-ish, I think, is the ceiling. It's going to be top 50. I don't. I just don't. The talent with Bud Foster, I know we're just saying, like, it's Bud Foster, it's Bud Foster. He's gonna, but it, it's true. Like, he will put something out there that is better than 70 of the teams in FBS. He just will. Offense. I think it's less about the stats coming back when, when you talk about the offense and more about the intangibles and the projected growth. Because you can look at last year's stats and you're like, that's, that's not good. Wait, this is your quarterback? You think this is the guy? It's about the small, like, incremental improvements across the board that will lead to one much larger improvement. I think it's going to be a big leap. And if Josh can hit the numbers I was talking about earlier – we could go from 28 points per game to maybe 34, 33, something like that. I'm going with a, and I'll jump right to it. I think this is, I know this is crazy, and this is going to tie into our summary of all this. It's going to be a top 25 offense this year. Okay, um, that's a little. No. That's I, outrageous. <laughs> no, I don't really think it is at all. I mean, if you look. Let me ask you differently. What do you think our real weakness is on offense this year? I think that the running back is uh, its average. That's right. In FBS. Yep. Wide receivers are unproven. If everybody's average, you can produce at, with a coach like Fuente and you know with Cornelison, you can produce a top 25 offense with average like average players for a school like Virginia Tech. We recruited a different level. So let's not like take all of FBS. So an average recruiting cycle for a school like Virginia Tech, you give those two individuals average with experience, with returning starters, a lot of returning starters. Um, I know. Hey, I'm, I, I, I don't I'm not out, the I'm optimism. Not, I admire it. But I'm not out to be a hot take. This is I'm what I wrote thinking. down. Let me just – I said – Top 50 in yards per play is a good goal. That's, that's what I said. That's a good goal because I think that's reasonable but also not entirely easy to get to. You going 25 
spots higher. No, I'm saying, uh, and let me clarify. Do you the top that? offense and the top defense is measured differently than yards per play and stuff like that. You're all saying that. just like yards per game? Yeah. Total total offense. Yeah. You think I, we're, I, I think and that. And because we might be in a lot of shootouts, like because of our defense, you know, not being up to snuff, you could be right there. I meant more from an S&P Plus and yards per play. I'm not going there. I it don't think total it's going to be It could be top 25. Yeah, I don't think efficient, efficiency is usually how I differentiate between S&P and like just what total offense is. I think total offense, we could be top 25, top 30 uh, this year because we have to be. We absolutely have to be, I, I think. To, and it to is year three of Fuente. And in year three of Fuente at Memphis, they – we're ten and three and finished twenty fifth in the AP poll, which is a miracle at Memphis. I mean, and their offense was off the charts. I'll pull it up, but yes. I know, I know that it's not the same situation. And they might have brought everyone back that year. I didn't examine the roster, but all I know is in the third year of a coach, a lot of times there's no installation happening anymore. It and he's got his quarterback back, so there. Josh knows all the plays. He doesn't. He's not out there calling a third down play that he's never used before. There's no installation. It's going to be so much more hit the ground running. And that's the beauty of year three with a head coach. When you look at the points Memphis was able to put up and as Fuente progressed through that program, he had a good first year there. Then he came down to about 20 points per game in his second year. Then he went to 36. 20 points per game to 36 points per game in year two to year three at Memphis. I'm not saying we're going to make a 16-point jump, but I think a five-point jump is reasonable. Five, six, seven points, that's 28 to 34. That's a huge difference. So that's my prediction. Right around that 34, 35-point-per-game mark and the 50, 50th in yards per play. That's, that's a good goal, a reasonable goal. We're going to have to compensate for the worst D, and we could be in a lot of you know, toss-it-up, shootout kind of games. I, I, I'm, I'm honestly not trying to do like the hot take. I just don't want to look back on the preview and and say, hey, I was more bullish, but I kind of pulled it back just for the sake of pulling it back, so I can align with everybody else. That's where they I are. I got you. Um, if you want to be bold, be bold. I I think <laughs> I just I feel really good about this offense this year, quite honestly. And then knowing that you have the backstop of Bud Foster and he's going to put something out productive. I mean, what better position do you want to be in? Feeling good about the offense oh, with yeah. Bud Foster being your backstop? You definitely want it that way, <laughs> then flip the other. Right. The, the times that you're like, hey, we're going to have a great defense, it's backfired. It backfired for us four years ago when we talked about it. Our first podcast. Yes. We were like, podcast. oh, man, Luther Maddy and Marshall and a Canham and it's exactly Daddy, what It's going to be sick, and it wasn't. Yeah. Because, they weren't And good. we had no offensive like, alignments. Uh, so Maddy got hurt. The whole thing fell apart. Right. We're in a position that, quite frankly, Hokie fans should be excited about, which is being bullish on the offense and then questioning the defense. And guess what? We have Bud Foster answer the question. That's a nice place to be. So it's time for our record predictions. I can go first if you want me to. Uh, you, pr- you probably should. I revised mine last night and this morning. <laughs> um, so the over-under from Bovada is eight and a half wins. If I'm going with my record prediction, I have to go under. I'm sorry, Hokie fans. It's been eight and four. It, it, it's eight and four. 
we just don't have the guys coming back to warrant me putting it to nine wins. It, when you have Miami, when you have Notre Dame, FSU, the Duke on the road game the week before Notre Dame at Pitt, I know Pitt's not a good team, but we don't play well there. We're going to screw up somewhere. We could screw up in Chapel Hill. God forbid we could screw up in Chapel Hill. That would suck to lose to Larry Fedora after all the shit I've been talking. But there are four losses on there, in my opinion, right now. Robbie, what do you got? Uh, I got three losses. <laughs> okay. We're going nine and three. I may be regretting this. Uh, and I'll call out all of our wins. Um, so William Mary, ECU, ODU, Duke, UNC. We're going to lose to either BC or Georgia Tech. Okay. So one of those two. I'm counting one as a win, if that makes sense. Hopefully it does to everybody. One of those is we a gotta win. we got to beat Georgia Tech this year. We're beating Pitt, Miami, and UVA, and that's nine wins. I, it could happen. It could happen. And Anything you, could happen. And you know how good I feel about FSU. So that goes to show you that, like, how unconfident I am, or if that's even a word, in the rest of the season. Because I think we could be 1-0 and and still go 8-4. and I just in the You're real swing, FSU as a loss. The right? wins, yeah. Now, if we come off and we win against FSU, I'd probably keep it nine and three. Still, I mean, you do like to revise as the season goes on. I only revised once. All right, all right. but we were having, we were just having a debate uh, off mic about whether Robbie went ten and two last year with a prediction or nine and three. I think I went nine and three. I think Robbie went ten and two. I'm just saying that so I, I can see. I we started right. at eight and four, and then we you, moved up. We to both bumped it up. We did both bump it up because we're we're optimists, and that's that's the problem. Well, we're, if no, we're kind of we're kind of lacking a pessimist on this podcast. I kind of like it that way, but I know there's hokey fans out there that I'm listen not to lacking. this podcast that are like these. Clowns. I do not like, like our all hype train all the time. I do not like our defensive tackle position. I I don't in terms of depth. I think it could be an absolute like. A bomb. No, it's going to be fine. Everyone's overreacted about it. It's it's like Frank Beamer said, don't get two highs high, with the highs low. and two lows with the lows. And that's how I feel about defensive line. That's how I feel about offensive line. Like, yeah, the offensive line's going to be better. It's not going to be that much better. And the the DTs, the depth is bad, but it's not that bad. Like I counted next the year, the offensive line's going to be pretty. In yeah. comparison to his story, that's where. I you comparison. They did move up last year. Last year was a step in the right direction. We moved from like 84th in TFL allowed to like 37th. So we've already taken a step. Trust me. I'm as optimistic as they come. And that's why it was so hard for me after reading Bill Connolly and reading Phil Steele. Phil Steele put us fourth in the coastal behind UNC. It like so I'm trying to like get a reality check for myself because I do have maroon and orange colored glasses. And eight and four was that reality check. We have never been that far off. We haven't been. We've been within one game every year that we've done our predictions. I am going out on a limb that I think that we're going to pull a rabbit out of the hat. I don't think that this is a team that's supposed to go nine and three. What I'm saying is I think we're going to go okay, nine how and about three. This? Those are totally two different things because Notre Dame shouldn't have made, like we were joking around about, the national championship. They got curb stomped, you know, whatever, five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But they weren't supposed to make it, but they made it there, right? So I'm saying this year I think the fates 
and the winds blow in our direction because we have Miami at home, Notre Dame at home. The two toughest game being at home, it is a, it's a huge help. Yeah. Let's do this real quick before we sign off. Floor and ceiling. I think the floor is six and six. I don't think yeah. there's any way we would go lower than six and six. No, I don't think lower than six and six. I mean, and you if have everything, you have William and Mary, ECU, ODU, are three guarantees. Well, as good as a guarantee. But here, 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 let me just do the losses then. The at Duke, we'll start FSU at Duke, Notre Dame, Miami, Georgia Tech, and BC. <laughs> it's, That's right. It, that, it the gets floor, I think the floor should be a six and six season, and so and, and quite frankly, you know, people like to you know, Fuente has has put together a nine win and a ten win season in his first two years with nothing that he recruited. He just took yeah, a but bunch he of had stuff. talent to work with, he especially had, the first year, and he also had the worst recruiting talent that could like that Virginia Tech has had in a while. It's true. It was falling You're off. You're right. You're right. And. You know, everybody likes to say that same thing about Willie Taggart, how he's walking into how it's going to let all this talent. You know, he didn't walk into anything, and he still pulled off a 9-10 and a 10 win season. That's ridiculous. Like, if people is. do not give – and I come back to the Athlon Sports. When an independent coach, who knows who it is, I have an idea who it is, said that they thought Fuente did the best coaching job last year because we had no run game and we won nine games. That's ridiculous. So, I, Coaching ceiling. needs to get ceiling. If everything were together, <laughs> ten. If everything were to come together absolutely perfectly, ten wins. Yeah, it's got to be ten. You can't go higher than that. No, because no, that's that's the receivers all being amazing. That's Josh stepping up to the plate. That's the offensive line blocking for the running backs. McLeese having an incredible year. The linebackers being tackling machines. Bryce Watts being an all. ACC corner. So another way to say 10 is the max, is an easy way for fans that are out there thinking about it, is you're going to take a loss from somebody other than Notre Dame, Florida State, or Miami. It's coming. It's going to happen. It's, you're going to you take that random loss. like You're you going to have a dud. Syracuse yeah, yeah. two years ago. Exactly. Pitt beats up on Clemson. Yeah. It, it, that's going to happen. right? Clemson was victim to Pitt. Yeah, know, they smashing. won the national championship. So they lost that's one loss. Then you have to then you Two have to the imagine games. right. You have to imagine that you're going to lose one of Pitt, FSU, or Notre Dame. Well, That's we, it. It's easy way to think about it. We really beat the record prediction into the ground there, but I think that was a good way to do it with the floor and ceiling. That I, I, I do. I do think we're going to a bowl no matter what, and if everything goes our way, it could be a double digit win season. It could could be, but I, I'm going to go with eight and four. Yeah. And and I would say that that's as much coaching as it is anything else. If if that does happen, it's because somebody you know, you know, Fuente coaches a good game against FSU, yeah. and we pull off a win right off the bat. Yeah. Then you have three more wins. You're already four and zero right off the bat, assuming that things go right. So it could be a very special season. It could just be a building season for next year. That's the exciting part. We got two weeks until football. I cannot wait for tech football. I mean, I think the first games are like in 10 days from now. Yeah. First games are in, what's it? It's the uh, seven days from now. First games are on the 25th. The big games kick off on the 30th, I believe. Uh, real, real games. If you guys made it to the end of this podcast, we applaud you because uh, <laughs> Robbie's been making fun of me the whole time because I've been worried about the sound and the acoustics. So if you made it here, we know we had some background noise and everything. 
We appreciate it. As always, thank you for listening. Great downloads on the Win Confidence Pool with Joe Lanza podcast. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, always. Subscribe. Apple Podcast. Hit up our website, 2DVT.com. If you want to email us anything, 2DVT at gmail.com. And always on Instagram and Twitter, at 2DVT. It's another season, our fourth one. I didn't wish you a happy anniversary, Robbie. I know. <laughs> For now, follow us on Instagram, follow us everywhere else, subscribe, rate, review, all that kind of stuff. And until next time, go Hokies. Go Hokies.